three years, over 170 episodes, 150,000 downloads, dozens of industry experts interviewed, and yet somehow I have never interviewed my guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy my interview with Brad J. Lamb. Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Okay, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show for the very first time, Brad J. Lamb. Brad is the CEO of Brad J. Lamb Realty and Lamb Development Corp. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, yeah finally meet you in person uh, and uh, I've been following you obviously through uh, the industry, so to speak, for years, and I love uh, always love to hear your opinions on things in the market, what's happening. So it's great to finally sit down and and chat with you here today. Looking forward to this conversation. I know a lot of the listeners are as well. Um, so so let's uh, let's jump into it. Why don't we start? Just tell everybody, tell me, tell everybody a little bit about your story in terms of how did you get actually get started in real estate? Because you have a bit of an interesting story there. Yeah. Um, well, so first of all, I, I I've you know, everyone says this, but I was legitimately very interested in real estate from a very, very early age. Um, when I when I went to university, uh, I took engineering, mechanical engineering. Uh, I went to Queens, and I lived in the ghetto. And we, in year two, we rented a house in the ghetto, and and that house went up for sale in the spring. For those sorry to interrupt, those who don't know, can you tell us what the ghetto is? My wife went to Queens, so I know what the ghetto is, but oh, sorry, okay. what so, is the ghetto, the famous ghetto of Queens? Yeah, generally what happens is students stay in the residence in the first year, but there isn't enough residents, uh, like, like official residents um, in the Queens campus to hold the, the whole population of students. So usually year two, students go off and they, they rent a house in the periphery around Queens, which is loosely called the ghetto because it's student housing and it's not nice. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, old Victorian homes that have been beaten badly by students yeah. over the last 50, <laughs> 60 years. Yeah. So we stayed in a large house on a park and uh, it was, uh, we had eight people in that house. Um, and uh, I lived downstairs in, in what would have been a library. And, um, we were we were paying uh, somewhere around um, uh, nine hundred dollars. It was about a hundred and a quarter each a month. Nine hundred dollars rent, <laughs> hundred bucks a month. Yeah. Um, and uh, the house went up for sale uh, for fifty or fifty five thousand dollars about a month before our, our year was over. And they had you know uh, as agents do the little lean to with the flyers in it and. Uh, I was on that same level, so I would I would see the people come in and look at the house, and mm. and I looked at the brochure, and I, I I looked at the numbers, and I thought, wow, you know, this house um, is a rental property. Uh, so we only stayed in the house during the school year, but we had to pay for the whole year. Sure, yeah. So it was it was vacant in the summers. Um, anyway, it was a it was incredibly cash flow positive. It was a twenty percent return on your uh, on your cash. Uh, right away so i thought wow i mean that really seems quite easy you buy a house you rent it yeah. um so i was intrigued so um I, was I that could, sort of your first was that sort of your light bulb was that a, like a light bulb yeah, moment when that you, was a light bulb you moment. saw the for sale sign you looked at the, the price you looked at the rent you were paying and and like a lot of first you know people who are getting into real estate investing for the first time it's like when you first do that first simple back of the napkin calculation it's like the light bulb goes off it's like whoa yeah, this makes sense. You know, I was twenty, and my parents were serial movers, and I never really looked at 
the economy of that, like why they were doing it. I mean, I knew my parents made money on the houses. It was a huge pain in the ass to move all the time, but they were, you know, they were climbing the ladder just like people do today. But I never, I never cottoned on to, to the idea of renting a home until this, I saw this. And, um, you know, I, I went away thinking, wow, log, log that for later. Finished my, my, my uh, education, um, got out, and immediately went to my father and said, um, lend me $3,000. I want to buy a rental property. I was an addict. Uh, in the summers, I would get the new. Uh, the, at the time, the real estate news was right. the bomb. I mean, right. <laughs> it was you know an inch thick, and yeah. it had phenomenal array of properties for sale. Not like today, right. there would be hundreds of semis and, and detached houses for sale in Cabbage Town and the East End okay. and the West End, and and you know they were one hundred and eighty, one hundred and seventy thousand dollars to live in a house mm-hmm. to buy an investment property. So I, I I knew I couldn't afford the city, um, and and I was looking at other areas like London, Ontario, and that kind of thing. So I bought my first investment property in 1984, say late 84, I graduated in the spring of 84. And I got a job and I took my first uh, $1,500. I got my, my dad lent my little brother $1,500 and my older brother was working at IBM and he put in $1,500 and our $4,500 bought a townhouse for twenty six dollars or $25,000 in that range in London, a four bedroom townhouse. Now my little brother was going to school um, at Western, mm-hmm. he was going into medical school, okay. and so I rented it to him and his buddies, and we rented it for eight hundred dollars a month, and we paid twenty four two hundred dollars each. And we rented and we bought it for the low twenties. So the thing was crazy cash flow positive. <laughs> wow. It was insane, yeah. and you could do this all day long yeah. in in London. So I, I kept it rented for a year. Um, they kind of broke up. Uh, they didn't want to live there anymore. So we sold it a year later, and we sold it for you know, close to double what we paid for it. I forget the exact numbers, but we made about fifteen or $20,000, which I was at the time an engineer making 24000 So I made a, as much money in one year, uh, or I made my annual salary in one year in one transaction by holding it for a year. And by the way, we made a few thousand dollars off the rent, right. paid off some of the mortgage. Yeah. So I went off and bought four more townhouses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, from there it was just, uh, I was absolutely, you know, a addict, right? I, I needed right. to own everything. I was absolutely <laughs> into it. And, and uh, yeah. so, you know, what happened after that was now, and this is the, in the days of, of double digit interest rates as well, right? This was, yeah, I like was what, paying like, like what, uh, what kind what was it, the highest interest rate you remember having for your properties in around the 10. Oh, and not too bad. 10, 11, okay. that kind so you, of thing. you weren't part of the, the days when it was 19, no, 20%? No, in, in, in the 82, 83 time, it ballooned to um, uh, like 14. In the, in, in the 85, 86, it came down again, uh, and then it, it ballooned again in, um, uh, actually, yeah, it ballooned again in, uh, in the late 80s. And I remember in the late 80s, early 90s, having a government of Manitoba bond that paid 16% interest. Wow. <laughs> so interest rates really went nuts. Guaranteed but, 16%. You know, for me, yeah. it was just, I was addicted. I was a real estate agent, or I was a, an engineer at the time working. I, I, and after four years of it, I, I never enjoyed it. I just wanted to do real estate all the time. And uh, as it turns out, I was really focused in, in London. I had a few condos. I had started buying condos from floor plans in Toronto and Mississauga, and I had a few of those. But I had a lot of stuff in, uh, I, I made millions of dollars of real estate in London at that point. And the and I was I was I was churning real estate because you could, and I needed capital to buy more, 
rent wasn't giving me enough capital to buy more in my job. Right. I was up to maybe 50,000 a year. I, I couldn't make enough money. I lived at home and I saved everything, but I could not make enough money to meet my aspirations for growth. And my real estate agent, I asked him, how much did you make from me last year? Mm-hmm. And he said, I made $75,000 from you on your transactions. And I was making 50 as an engineer. I thought, fuck that. I'm going to be a real estate agent. That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. I'll just represent myself. I'll, yeah. I'll get more money and I'll be fully immersed in it and I'll learn everything I can. Uh, and that's, that's really when I, I hung up my, my, real estate, or my engineering uh, degree and, and decided to go full-time into real estate. That was a sad day for your real estate agent who, uh, who lost you as a client, <laughs> yeah, I guess. It was. <laughs> that was the end of his real estate business. You really missed that, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so you jumped into real estate full-time and, and you, you were a very successful broker for a number of years. You went on to represent uh, uh, and sell a lot of well-known buildings in the city for developers. Yeah. And then you became a developer yourself. So can you talk about that sort of transition? Like, was there a similar light bulb moment where you said, okay, I, I'm, I'm doing well, at, I'm doing well at investing in real estate. Now I'm doing well at selling real estate. And then was, and now you said, I'm going to, I want to actually start building real estate myself. You know, um, I have to say from, uh, popping out of my mother's <laughs> I have had uh, megalomaniac tendencies. Okay, uh, megalomaniacal tendencies. I, I, so I think um, you always want to move up the ladder, and and, and I yeah, and I think development is one of natural those progression. It, it, like yeah, you you know, development is the, the top of it, really, and you control everything. Um, you you know, you have the capacity to generate large amounts of money. Um, if you have vision and ideals and ideas then you can see them um, happen, you know, um, with your touch uh, and your ideas. So for me, I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think everyone would want to be a developer because it's a really, 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 really difficult job. Uh, It's massively stressful, more than anyone could possibly comprehend. It's a very, very stressful job. And and, um, you need to be uniquely suited to it or it will kill you. so, you know, the, the public's idea is that developers make tons of money and it's easy. But the, 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 the truth is that we sometimes make lots of money. Often we make no money. Um, the cost of money and, the, you know, developers don't use their own money. You're not going to build a $200 million building. You don't have $200 million sitting in the bank, right? Yeah. So you need to use a capital stack and leverage. And that leverage has a cost. If you trip, it can be deadly. <laughs> Really, it can yeah. be very bad for you. So, yeah. you know, the, the trick is to not make too many mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen. Sometimes they're not your mistakes. Sometimes they're a premier's mistakes or a mayor's mistakes or someone else's mistakes. Yeah. But you have to live with everyone's mistakes and clean them up. So anyway, for me, it, it, it wasn't necessarily a light bulb moment. It was always going to be something I was going to do. But I had to have enough net worth and wealth and uh, capital and a business, my real estate uh, sales business, strong enough to um, be able to withstand being fired. Because mm. I knew that if I was public, I was developing quietly right. with partners right. and nobody knew I was right. for years, mm-hmm. um, taking 10, 20% on deals and running a sales program. As an equity partner in yeah. the projects that you were selling. Yeah, right? yeah some of them. And, and I knew that if I became public about that um, or decided to take the lead role, that my developer clients would fire me and they did. 
like it was very quick within six right. months. It didn't like, surprise you. No, I knew it was coming. <laughs> so I needed to have enough, yeah. uh, you know, money. Yeah. I was smart enough to realize it was going to happen. So I needed independence. So when I was independent around 2005, I went public with Lamb Development Corp. And, you know, and then it was like full head. I, there was, there was no, uh, you know, genies out of the bottle. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't sit back and uh, I had to do multiple projects. So I immediately jumped into six projects. Um, wow. and, uh, you know, and they were all really <laughs> successful. And, uh, oh, is it true? I read somewhere once that you actually, to fund your launch as a developer, I, I don't know how accurate it is. It was, you, you, you sold a large number of the condos in your portfolio, personal condos that you yeah. your rental condos that you owned yeah you sold off a whole bunch of them yeah and you use all those profits to actually yeah so launch so your it's development funny because when i was selling for guys like context and uh <clears throat> um and uh, lantera and freed the developers the owners would always say why why are you buying so many condos what do you know right. that you, like, <laughs> you guys are developing you, right. like you don't believe in your product right <laughs> i believe in your product i just buy it, yeah I you would, so i would buy yeah. like three four five six apartments in every building i did right i would take about a quarter of my commissions that i'd make plow them into buying units rent them keep them for five years and you know we the property uh, wave has been quite strong uh, it, it recently very strong but back then it, you you would you would see a good increase so i had uh you know in the toy factory three or four units uh, i had uh, six or seven in the radio city i had three or four in in toy factory uh sorry in in, in um uh, in the candy factory and and uh in tip top lofts and all these great buildings and i also bought when i saw a project i thought was amazing like the merchandise building many years ago you know, they're selling condos for $99,000. Right. Like, that's like free, <laughs> you know, even back then. Yeah. So I, I basically sold uh, somewhere around uh, 8 to 12 units to raise uh, $2 million. Um, and I took that $2 million and I bought a piece of land. Uh, I bought the land for $4 million and then I, I brought in two partners. I took the majority interest in the project, brought in two partners, uh, I brought in a construction management company that would build it for me, and I brought in uh, an architect, Peter Clues, uh, that would design it for me. And I knew that if uh, he was a friend of mine, but he's also, I think, the best architect I've ever mm -hmm. met. And I knew if I had Peter working on the project, I'd get the best of him, right? And so that was our first project as a development company. It was called Glass, and uh, it was it was wildly successful. I couldn't believe how well it went, but. Yeah. That, it's not always that easy. Yeah. That was a really good one. But so, yeah, that's how it started. I yeah, sold Oxley Street, King and Spadina, and, and that's still today is one of the best buildings downtown and still is, the values there are, are some of the highest anywhere downtown. I learned a lot from that development. I learned to fight harder uh, with the planning department. Um, you can see it's 16 stories and everything around it's 45. So I learned, we still made a lot of money, but I, I mean, it should have been 30 stories. Or at that time, maybe 20. But I, I, you know, my partners were very risk averse, had obviously more development uh, experience. And, and, I, and I just took the road of uh, least resistance. And I've learned since that's a bad road. So we, we fight every time. We fight very hard now for our projects. Um, and, and if it's given too easily, it means we didn't fight hard enough. So I would never do that again. But for a first project, you know, we got our financing fairly easily. We sold it reasonably easily. Um, 
and um, we got our zoning and you know it was a relatively painless uh, first project on my own right right um let's jump into the market now today the real estate market and, and the condo market specifically um i'd love to get your take on sort of the fair housing plan let's let's start with that so sort of before and after you mean uh, the unfair housing plan yeah the, exactly the unfair housing plan um so we sort of had the before and after like how did like the market leading up to that obviously was a, a frenzy and now the market is very different since then um everybody has their opinions on on what's going on with that what what are your thoughts on now that we've had the fair housing plan in place for a few months we've had some time to sort of absorb it what are your thoughts on it and and the market as a result of it well i think largely you know it's it's puffery and smoke um you know most of the points in the fair housing plan are stupid and irrelevant and won't do anything but i think there's some significant ones that are encased in that and also that are lingering outside of it so one of the ones that is a disaster for citizens of ontario is is the extension of rent controls to properties built after 1991 you know the knee-jerk reaction is you know well my rent gets capped it's great but you know scenario is okay you're in a 500 square foot one bedroom and you're a single girl or a single man and you meet someone and you want to get married and you need a bigger place mm-hmm. well now you have to go to an apartment that's vacant, a condo that's vacant. Mm-hmm. So you're in an apartment. Maybe you're having a rent. A, you know, maybe you rented it for fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars a few years ago, and now the rent on that's only been going up. You know, two percent a year, and it's quite comfortable. Well, the jump to the two bedroom is going to shock you, um, because the availability of of product to move into is zero. So when a, when a tenant or a, an apartment owner uh, in a big building, a uh, purpose-built building, has an empty apartment, they'll charge market. And market will be far higher than you could imagine. You know, so to give them an idea, that $1,500 apartment that they have rent control on is now $2,100. They want to get a two-bedroom. Uh, you know, they're hoping it's 22 It's 32 right? So what it does is it now it's locking people down yep. to live a crap life in a small apartment and raise a kid in a one bedroom. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. So what it's done is it, on, on the surface, it, it, so if someone's going to stay single their entire life and stay in a small apartment or stay in the apartment forever. Works for them. Works for you. Yep. But that doesn't help people coming into the marketplace or people moving to a bigger place. And so what we need, what we need to have is a, a vibrant, strong, purpose-built apartment industry where people are building apartment buildings that you can live in forever and know that you're never going to have it sold from out from under you by the owner um, and that you can have uh, reasonable stability in rent control so or reasonable stability in rent. So, you know, um, market rent uh, generally won't jump 20% a year. That happens once every 10 years when there's, there's friction. There's some kind of situation where prices stayed somewhere for a long time and then they blew, right? Like we had last year for a six-month period. Um, but generally, you'll see rents rise 2 to 5%, but an owner needs to get that 5% when they can. To offset inflation, which yeah. is always higher than the government says, to offset um, interest rate fluctuations and the refinancing, yeah. and to offset uh, you know, taxes, which um, you know, gov- governments say taxes aren't going up. Uh, you know, residential taxes aren't going up. Commercial taxes aren't going up. This building that we're in right now, my office building, 
my taxes doubled in three years. How did they double? The building doubled in value, according right. to MPAC. Right. Well, that's what happens with condos, too. Yeah, the mill rate stays the same, meaning the multiplier. So the, the mayor can say, we're not, we're raising, not raising taxes, taxes. this year. Right. That's bullshit. Yeah. Because the valuations are going up 40%. Your taxes yeah. are going 40%. Anyway, so in order for, for people to feel safe to invest $100 or $200 million to build an apartment building, they need to know they can get their money back, right? And, and in a rent control environment, you can't. It's a disaster. That, that's number one. All the other stuff, you know, taxing investors is a, is a terrible idea. It's a disaster. Um, we need investors. Investors in a city primarily buy new condominiums. That's, the, that's probably 75% or 80% of where the money goes. Yep. And we want them. Those are the apartment buildings that are not getting built now. We want investors to buy condos so they can rent them so we can have rental stock in the city. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like local people won't buy that stuff. No. When you go in and you go to the big launches, they're not, you, you, there are not a lot of white faces there. Let's mm-hmm. just say that, right? There's a lot of uh, Southeast Asians there. Sure. And, and these are largely uh, foreign investors or they're new uh, Canadians that were foreign before. And, you know, they're, they're going out there and they're investing in our economy. And they're, by doing it, they're, they're, they're telling their friends back home, this is a great opportunity. You should do it too. We want foreign investment in this country. It's, it's ridiculous to me we allow a national Chinese company to invest in a condo project on King Street, Blue Jay Way, right? Mm-hmm. Owned by the Chinese government. We're okay with that, right. but we're not okay with an individual Chinese guy coming here or a Southeast Asian guy or German guy or whatever. We're not okay with them coming here and buying a condo. Right. It's and insanity. renting it. And renting yeah. It's insanity. So that's, that's just bad, bad politics. Those two things are terrible. And the last thing I'd say is the, her, her decision to abolish the OMB is nail in the coffin for our development industry. It's a, it's a horrendous decision. It's going to have ramifications if it stays in place that are going to cause massive inflation in real estate. Developers yeah. will stop buying land. Going on the rent control issue, um, there's so much evidence and there's so many studies like globally that rent control doesn't work, that, that exactly how you describe it actually has the opposite effect of what the government says. For, yeah. for people who never move, it's great. Right. If, if your goal is to make people never move and, and just stay in a place forever and never grow a family and never evolve and never, you know, economically advance in life, it's great. Yeah. But for everybody else and, and the rest of the population, it's a terrible idea because it artificially uh, uh, reduces supply and, and, and people stop moving and, and, and rent new, ex- new rental rates go up, you know, much higher than they would otherwise. Yes. And there's so much evidence, so many studies around the world. Why do you think... I'm just curious your opinion, like, like with all that evidence from globally, like left wing, right wing, doesn't matter what your political views are. It's just there's evidence all around the world that this happens. Why do you think the government still uh, insists that this is a good idea and because that this I, uh, is good for the public? Yeah, because I think they realize it, that uh, people don't read, right? So <laughs> you're assuming that that information trickles down into humans' brains, but it doesn't. People don't read the newspaper. You think people read those reports? They don't. So all they, what they know is, what they, what they hear is, are the sound bites, right? So what they know is, hey, your rent's not going to go up. Oh, that seems great. My rent's not going to go up. Right. They don't think of the big picture yeah. because, the, because government, and surprisingly enough, the media, uh, is not properly educating them about the situation. So they go off thinking, yeah, I love rent controls. 
I mean, I, I send out messages all the time about this, and I get people coming back. Well, you know, you're a dirty, filthy developer. Of course, you want rents right. to escalate. Right. They don't. What they don't understand is that their rents are going to escalate. That's the problem. The issue is that if, if human beings beings would would properly educate themselves on these issues, they would side with the with the the, the, the logical common sense solution. But they don't. Mm-hmm. All over the world, they don't. This is this is this happens in New York City. It happens everywhere. Uh, rent control is a is a, a lovely left wing uh, ideology that has proven to be a failure every single time for hundreds of years. Um, since they've been since they've been discussed or in place, but um, governments lie. Yeah, yeah, they want votes, and our memory is so short too. I mean, people like nobody looks back and and asks the question of why did we get rid of rent control in the first place? It wasn't that long ago, right? It was you know twenty twenty ish years ago, whatever. Why are you know that's twenty five years ago? But why was it? Why did we get rid of it in the first place? Because because it was having the opposite effect of what they wanted. Well, we got right? rid of it to, to generate new housing, right? Yeah. But they kept it in for the old. So the other question, I don't understand why people don't have this moment, is why are all the apartment buildings 50 years old? Exactly. No Look building. around the city. Every apartment building is built in, in the 60s and 70s. Why has there been no apartment buildings built? Yeah, it's very clear. Yeah. But again, I don't think people wander around. First of all, people don't wander around with their head up anymore. They wander around looking at the phone. But if they wander around with their head up and they noticed... The age of the building they're entering is 50 or 60 years old. They'd realize there's a problem. And this premier has just made it far worse. Another big change that potentially come to the market, which could have major ramifications, is this uh, off-sea stress test. I don't know if you've been... It's a disaster. Tracking that or following that. Yep. Basically, the, everyone, including people putting 20% down, has to qualify at 2% higher, essentially, mortgage rate 2% higher than what they're actually going to be paying. Yeah. Um, Only place in the world where this is happening. Yeah, and it sounds from what I'm hearing, it sounds pretty likely it's actually going to happen. What What do you th- obviously you know What do you think of the idea? And and if it does, assuming it does happen, how do you think it's actually going to affect the markets? You know, there's this illogical fear of uh, Canadians having too much debt, right? It's all stemmed from that. And and the reality is, and I have I you know so I'm I'm lucky enough to have the Bank of Canada come to my office once every two years to interview me on how I feel the economy is. They do this with a hundred different years to get a sense of the overall uh, in different different in different fields of, of business. And um, I said to them, you know, I don't understand your analysis for for uh, indebtedness in Canadians. So let me let me let me just give an example. Consumer A has um, a, a car lease and thirty thousand dollars of, uh, of um, education debt and 20000 on their credit card. So they have like maybe sixty or say, say $80,000 in debt. Right. And they make 150000 a year. So they have like a, 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 a 70% debt to, to their income. And you'd say, consumer A, good on you. Right. Consumer B walks to work, lives downtown, has no credit card debt, and managed to... Uh, have jobs while he went through uh, university and has no debt, university debt. But they bought a $600,000 condo. They make $150,000 a year. They bought a $600,000 condo, and they have a $400,000 mortgage. They put 35% down, fantastic down payment. They're, they're uh, you know, 200% 
in their uh, a little over that in their debt uh, to income uh, situation. They're like two hundred and thirty percent. Right. You say that's bad. Right. Okay. So the which you're not talking. So you say this to the Bank of Canada guys. Yeah. I said, and and so consumer A is renting. Right. Okay. So if consumer B doesn't pay his mortgage, what happens? Well, the bank will take the property. Yeah, and he still has two hundred thousand equity, but they'll take the property. What happens if consumer A doesn't pay his his rent? Well, the same thing. He's thrown out. Right. And he has fucking zero. Yeah. He's got he a car has, lease. He he's renting. His, yeah, he still has yeah, his debt. Yeah, and, and he's got debt at higher interest rates. So, so why why do you not make it a fair comparison? You need to either eliminate housing debt from that calculation, because housing debt is the same thing as rent, or you need to uh, uh, establish a multiplier where if it costs more to own a house than it does to lease a house, then punish them a little bit. Right. But your numbers aren't right. Your numbers scare people. Right. And so I, I think these guys are so dumb, honestly. I think they're so dumb that they don't actually see that a $400,000 mortgage with a person making $150,000, that's all they have is debt. That's smart because that guy also is paying off $12,000 every year on his mortgage, getting $12,000 yeah. richer. Yeah. If that's the worst case that happens, in 25 years, he owns his house. Yeah. The other guy's got zip, right? So, so I think that this is coming from a, a poor analysis of the situation. And, and I think, I don't know how to solve it except to talk about it and have people go, hmm, maybe that's not, doesn't make any sense. It's a disaster. It's a bad policy. If it happens, you know, it's going to shut down a lot of people from ever buying real estate. Think of this. What do we want to do as Canadians? We want people to build equity. We want people to have something to, to retire with. And, you know, regardless of whether um, you agree with it, most people use their house to retire. It's a logical thing. It's a place you put money down, and at the end of the day, you're paying off your mortgage, and you have a chunk of money to retire on. We want to tell people not to do that so they can be that guy who's leasing a car and renting. That's what we want this the, the, our, our right. country That's to do. Preferred That's what you're pushing people into. Right. Right. You're pushing them into being tenants. We should be we should be incentivizing people to buy homes, not de-incentivizing them. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is doing. This this is the kind of thing that a government should be toppled for mm -hmm. democratically. Right. But this is bad, bad business. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um some people out there um, are looking at the average price numbers that have come down in, the, in across the GTA since the fair housing plan. And some people are saying things like the market is down 20%. Uh, some people are saying the market crash is imminent, this kind of thing. Or some people say the crash is already actually happening because the, they see these average price numbers. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is the market crashing? Well, I'll tell you what. I... Um I still buy units in our buildings, and um, I put a unit up for sale the other day that was 423 square feet on the second floor facing a brick wall in Brant Park. Okay. <laughs> it sold for $412,500 in 36 hours. It sold for 980 a foot. It wouldn't have sold for more than that in April. I'm not seeing it. I mean... In my marketplace, one of our guys just sold a townhouse that was 1,100 square feet for a million three. Uh, it's a very stacked kind of townhouse. And he came to me and he said, what should I price it at? My clients want to list it at a million three. I said, you're out of your mind, man. That's one, one, five. Best you're going to get. Right. Put it in the market, sold for a million three. So I, I can tell you dozens of examples of prices being pretty well the same as they were in the, in the spring. 
I think there's areas like, you know, you have to take out the averages in areas like Richmond Hill and Markham, which have been hard hit by the 15% tax. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are communities that are 50% Asian, Chinese. Sure. And um, Asian investors buy what they know and what they're advised on, and that's where they buy. So if they're buying houses, they're buying them there and they're renting them, or they might be keeping them empty. I think that market is is hurting a little bit. But, um, you know, um, the, the, the Nobu development that came out uh, a month and a half ago is sold out. Yeah. Right, 660 apartments sold for an average of 11.50 a foot. I just, it just uh, to me, I, I just can't conceive, I've been saying this for a long time, I can't conceive of a real estate correction um, when the economy is growing by two plus three percent a year right you have low you know you have you have the lowest unemployment we've had in 10 years you have zero inflation you still have very low interest rates i think the interest rate rises were recently done were stupid um i don't i don't see why they're necessary the dollar is still relatively strong via v where it has been um uh you know i, I just i don't see where the slack's going to come in the economy mm-hmm. to make people say i'm not buying housing anymore right they're yeah, it's something, say, it's something you said for years. It basically, short of a recession, there's no reason for prices well, you, to come down so, so with any significance. Think about it. You're a 25-year-old kid. You get your degree. You're a lawyer. You get a job. And you're like, after a couple of years, I think I should buy a place. You have a good job. You're making money. W- w- why would you not? Like, what's going what's gonna, to, just, just in the microcosm of Toronto, you go, oh, Toronto, I, uh, this one place only I'm not going to buy. You live in London. You live in Quebec. You live in... You know Saskatoon, you're you're gonna buy. I, I just don't buy it. I think when the when times are good, people feel good, and I don't think that people know the value of housing as much as the government thinks people do. I think people know housing by what they can afford. Right. So they look at it and they go, "I'm making ten grand a month or eight grand, whatever it is, and it's two grand. Yeah, I can pay that and have enough money to have a decent car and go on a vacation once a year. Yeah, let's do it. Right. right. So I don't see that changing until the economy changes. And here's the thing about that. We've had economic growth of, of zero to two percent for ten for ten years, right? Yeah. Normally, after a recession, economic growth spikes to five percent in a year or two after, and then comes down to around three or three point two. We have so much economic growth that has not happened after that recession because I think it was a very bad recession. I mean, mm. it, it was worldwide a very bad recession, and I think that that growth still has to happen. So we've flattened the growth curve. I think it's going to go for longer. Right. So capacity utilization, all of these things that, you know, um, inflation in pricing, all these things are not happening. Why are they not happening? Because growth is so slow around the world. Now, if Europe starts seeing 3% growth and the United States sees 4%, China goes back to 8 South America, which is negative, you know, the BRIC countries, including Brazil, if they start seeing uh, the growth they were seeing, yes, then we're going to have inflation, and then we're going to have a recession at some point. I don't see it. I don't see it for a long time. I don't see it for a long time. I, I could see this continuing like this, this muddling we have for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So I think that waiting, sitting here and waiting, going, oh, the shoe's going to drop, you know, price is going to fall. That's such an asinine thing to do. People have been doing that for 10 years. And you know what they've missed? They've missed an opportunity to buy. Those people that have sat and waited that were on the fence to be able to buy, they, can, they will never buy. Right. They are out of the market. Till yeah. they die, yeah. you know. If you, you your income and now they got to deal with rent control. Yeah, your your, your, <laughs> your income can't keep pace with the with the no. growth of real estate prices. No. And so some of those people that were thought they were being smart, 
in some cases being smart asses with their comments about a bubble bursting sure. five or six years ago. Yeah. Prices have doubled. Yeah. And, and, and so even if they don't move from here, they're out of the marketplace. And that's too bad. That's a bad thing. And I think that you know the government uh, and the media have a responsibility to properly educate people about that risk. And, and we have a duty to get people into the marketplace so they can have something for the future. And I think it's a shame that, that people who are misinformed um, make that decision. And then it's a life decision now. They're yeah. out. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. What, do you, what would you say to the people who uh, look at the recent interest rate increases and they're saying it's not a good time to buy because interest rates are going up or they're thinking, the market is going to crash because interest rates are going up. The cost of money is going up. Less people are going to buy is, is sort of the logic. What, what do you think well, I'll give you that? an example. So, so I'm, I'm just about to build a building called East 55. Long journey. Uh, anyway, um, we've proformed 4.7% on our construction loan. That's actually coming in at 5.2 because there was two little bumps. You know how much it changed? So this is a hundred and... $40 million revenue building. You know how much that cost me? $180,000. $180,000 on a $140 million building. It's nothing. Right. It's a rounding error on the project. So people need to understand that, that um, it's a interest, rates, <laughs> yeah, interest rates um, moving up a half a percent or a percent, it's not going to change the fundamental um, Real, fundamental uh, reasons why people are buying real estate. And I'd also say this, you, listen, um, we've just gone through the lowest interest rates uh, because of this great recession. Rates will go up. Like they should not expect them to stay this way forever. They'll go up and the real estate market's going to be just fine. It will. Hmm. Um, shifting gears to talking about investing in condos and specifically speaking to the first time investor, um, what, what's your, your sort of, when people come to you and say, Brad, I, I want to invest in a condo. What is sort of, what is your main piece of advice that you would give somebody thinking about investing in a condo? Or maybe another way to think of it is if you think back to yourself, when you started out as a first time investor, you know, was there, was there a mistake or a lesson that you learned early on that, you know, you wish you, you hadn't known sooner that you want to pass along to the first time investor today? Well, I've made some mistakes uh, over the last 20-some years or 30 years, I guess, that I've been in this business. And the number one thing I'd say is stop second-guessing yourself. I remember when I was buying that first property and I saw $800 a month rent and my costs all in were $300. i am like, holy fuck, why isn't everybody doing this? Yeah. I'm going to get my money back, my five grand back in a year. Why isn't everything? Then, then I, I, have a free, I have a free home, right? Yeah. Why isn't everyone doing this? Yeah. And the reason is, the reason that everyone's not doing this is because they're not thinking about it. It's not in their, their daily routine. They, they go to work, they earn their paycheck, they pay their bills, they're tired. They don't think about it. They don't have the, the extra juice at the end of the day to go, hmm, how can I invest <laughs> my extra money? It's a, right. it's a part-time job. It's another job. Yes. And you're like, fuck, I don't want another job. I want to go to a movie. I want to I go for, out for dinner with my girlfriend or go drinking or whatever. You know? Watch Netflix. And so I, I think the thing is just believe the numbers. The numbers are real. Believe the track record. The track record is real. And, and, and there's, in, in, my, in my opinion. Did people tell you you were crazy when you bought that first property? Yeah. Did, people, did some everyone, people say every, to you, what are you doing, Brad? Everyone did. 
Listen, when I was buying con, people still tell me I'm crazy. But when I was buying condominiums <laughs> uh, for two hundred a foot, one eighty a foot, you're like you're out of your mind. You can't buy condos and rent them and make money. I'm like, but I am. Yeah, <laughs> I'm buying it. It's costing me a thousand a month. I'm yeah. renting it for thirteen hundred. Yeah, I'm making money. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. Well, you, you can't. If you could make money, everyone would do that. Why would anyone ever rent? Right. So, I don't know. Why are they renting? Right. That's the question. Yeah. I just think it's because people aren't curious. They don't read. Mm -hmm. They don't examine. They, they walk around their lives with their head in the fucking sand. Take your head out of the fucking sand and look up and see the world for what it is. There's so much opportunity. It's easy. It's not hard to be a real estate investor. It's not hard to own a home. It isn't. Oh, I need a down payment. So, so you know what? Stop having a cup of coffee every day at Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Stop going out for lunch every day. Spend two years and live a very tight lifestyle. And you know what? You'll save twenty or thirty thousand um, dollars, and uh, you can then put the first ten percent or five percent down on a condo from floor plans. Mm -hmm. You know, we've offered investors. People, we've uh, we offered young people for some buyers. People work here. People I know that come to me. We give them a, we'll give them a long time to pay their deposit and they can pay it off in like chunks, right? right. When they can. Right. And we've done this for people. And, you know, the girl that worked for me, she, she uh, started working for me and she said, I want to buy a condo, but I have no money. I said, okay, what do you, how are you going to get, how are you going to get the down payment? She goes, well, I'm working at night as a server, as a bar server. I'm working as an agent in the day. And, but, you know, because I don't let people do that. I said, well, you can only do that on Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You can't do that during the week. That's not going to work for me. No, no, I do it on those nights. So she would make about $1,500 a month extra money doing this job. And she'd give it to me as, as a check every month. Right. And after 30 months, she saved $45,000. Right. She bought a condo at King Charlotte. Wow. She bought it for $230,000. <laughs> yeah. It got appraised for $500,000. This woman made $270,000 in her first property. Yeah. That's, that's you know, Think about how to save two hundred and seventy thousand yeah. dollars. How many months that takes? Yeah, it's not how many happen. years that takes? Never gonna no, happen. it's never gonna happen. No. So you know, so this is a woman that had no money, but she took a second job, and she saved fifteen hundred a month for thirty months. She asked the question. She she asked the question. She and, came and to she you had and someone she who said, was willing yeah. to do it. But you yeah. know what? We we will do that for people. On I'm gonna do yeah. it for everybody, but sure. we'll do that for people that come to me and say, "Listen, I want to do this." And I will do it. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm dedicated to doing and getting in the marketplace. Right. Then we'll help them. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's opportunities out there if if, if you're. By the way, she also had to, she also had to you know so she had to also work as an agent for three years, four years, maybe five years. It took to do the whole project right. to get her income up. Yeah, she qualified for mortgage. Yeah, now she you know what she's done. She's bought a second property. Good for her. She's on her way to being a millionaire. Yeah, absolutely. From no money to a millionaire. Um. Hamilton. Hamilton is, uh, you've been talking a lot about it, tweeting a lot about it, yeah. for articles. Um, you recently came out with eight reasons to invest in Hamilton. So you have this new project, Television City. Tell us about uh, Television City, but maybe start by saying, why Hamilton? Why now? Um, it's it's uh, always been there. Why why is now the time that you decide to, yeah. to jump okay. full in here? Get in your car. Uh, drive from downtown Toronto. Yeah. Down to St. Catharines. Okay. Mutual notice, there's no break. No. It's one mega yeah. city. 
it's not Toronto. It's a golden horseshoe. Mm-hmm. It's one city. There's no break. There's no break in the traffic. Definitely. No, it, there's hour. no break in, in terms of like, every, <laughs> it's just one huge city. Yeah. In fact, if you go off the 401, the 403, you see that it continues to be one city to the West. This is a mega city we're, we're working with here. So, so it, to me, the, the, you know, the next, obvi- like if you look at condo prices in Oakville or Burlington, there's 700 a foot. Yeah. Yep. The, the absolute logical um, uh, conclusion from that is it's going to continue, and it is. I'm not make. I'm not the first guy here. The canary in the coal mine. It is moving south and west. So there's a condo market in Hamilton now, and the condo market. So you can buy a condo in Toronto. Uh, one of my condos here for thousand a foot. Yeah. You can buy it there for five eighty to six hundred a foot. The rent is off. The rents, you know. Um, you're going to get $1,300 to $1,400 for a one-bedroom there. That's what you got here three years ago. Hamilton is three or four years uh, in the, in the in, you know, sort of in the past, if you look at it that way, in terms of behind Toronto, let's say, right. in terms of rent. But it, where, what are you going to find in Toronto for $600 a foot? $600 right. a foot with the rents that you can get in Hamilton make you money. You, get, you can get a positive cash flow year one or year two. Hmm. In Toronto, there's no forget about it. You need to put fifty percent down to get a positive cash flow in Toronto. A lot of people are buying condos for cash in Toronto, mm-hmm. or uh, buying for cash here in the city today on from floor plans. You know, you at a thousand a foot, you're not going to get five or six dollars a foot rent. You're going to get three fifty to four. So it's getting harder and harder, or impossible to be a landlord, investor landlord in Toronto. But you can do it all day long in, in Hamilton. And this building is not like you know, a piece of crap built by, uh, you know, a developer that delivers garbage. This is one of our buildings. It's a beautiful building. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a, this building would be happy in Chelsea, in New York, or in the financial district in, in London. It's a beautiful piece of architecture. Um, the apartments are amazing. The, the, the standard quality, like no one builds nine foot ceilings in Hamilton. We have nine foot ceilings. We have gas on the balconies. We have thick stone countertops in the bathroom and kitchen, European uh, clean cabinetry, the same floors in my office. We, we're offering a standard there. Beautiful. These are yep. beautiful Standing floors. on them right now. So, yep. so everything we're putting in this thing is fantastic. Then the amenity package is unbelievable. Um, and, the, and, the, and the floor plans, you know, because it's a big piece of property, the tower is smart, meaning it's wide, shallow units, a right. lot of windows, not so deep. So you get the most efficient bang for your buck on square footage. So I say... Why would you invest anywhere else? Like we bought a boatload of real estate in, in, in Hamilton because it's the future. You know, Hamilton is 55 minutes away by train, um, by the GO train. Uh, there's, a, there's a new uh, LRT that goes up and down uh, Main Street or King, King Street, King Street, um, which is like their, you know, Main Street and King Street, the two main drags. Right. Um, and the other thing about this is that Mississauga, Burlington, Oakville, th- there's no city there. No. Hamilton is yeah. a city. When you drive into Hamilton, it's holy shit. This is a real city. This right. is a big city. It feels like a big yeah. city. Why is that so important to you? Because that's something you talk about a lot is you only want to build in, as you say, real cities. What What is a real city and why is it? Why do you only want to build there? Why don't you build well, a Bradland building in, in Mississauga and in Oakville? Because you could have. Yeah, but I, but I also think it's for safety. Like, um, you know, I wonder why why would someone live in a condo at Appleby Line and Steels? You walk out there and you got a Finn McCool's, you got a, a Subway shop and a McDonald's. 
what, what kind of life are you going to have? Right. You, you, you live downtown <laughs> yeah. Hamilton and you walk out and there's like Shakespeare's, a fantastic restaurant. You know, there's, there's 50 amazing restaurants and pubs and bars and so much to do mm -hmm. in a city. And I think that if you're going to live in a high rise, in a small apartment, do you want to, do you want to be able to get out and meet people or do you go ahead? I just am a big believer in, in I think that as an investor, for me, it's safer to invest in, in an economy that's diversified. Like Mississauga that's, does have, you know, a diversified economy to yeah. some extent, but it's not like Toronto right. or, or uh, Vancouver mm -hmm. or Montreal. Right. And for that matter, Hamilton. Hamilton has a huge industrial base. It has a, a developing financial base. It has a, a developing fantastic medical base, medical technology base. It has a huge art space and it's now developing a big tech base. So it's, it's a, and, 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 the, and then you've got the, um, the uh, entertainment base, which is, is becoming tr tremendous. So as a investor, I like the safety and diversification of, of the economy. And as a, as a consumer, I think, well, where would I want to live? Why would I want to live in a condo at Applebee and Steel's, man? Right. Like, <laughs> You got to yeah. get in your car to go anywhere, right? Right. In in at Radio City or a Television City, you jump down the elevator, get on your two feet, and you can walk to everything you need to get to. Hess Street is one block over. Right. The Party Street, Lock Street, the Restaurant Street, King Street, Main Street, right there. Um, uh, James Street, a beautiful historic street with dozens of restaurants and coffee shops and great stuff. I just think your lifestyle's better when you live in a city in a condo. Does Hamilton today remind you of Toronto? You know, you've been here for 30 years working in the city. Does it remind you of t Toronto at a certain period of time or do you see it as a completely different city all on its own? Well, it's a completely different city all on its own. It has its own feel and taste. But in some ways, there's some similarities with what's going to happen to Hamilton to what's already happened in Toronto. But one of the great things about Hamilton is because Hamilton suffered for a long time with with this you know the steel industry its contraction and its growth yeah, and its sure. contraction growth and so development didn't happen to a great deal over the 70s 80s and 90s and early 2000s in Hamilton so there's a lot of historic architecture there's a lot of great homes like television city has a beautiful historic 1950s mansion on it this house in toronto would be 15 million dollars right you know, it was thrown. You picked in. it up for less than that, I think. Oh, the, the, we, we, we bought the whole property for <laughs> yeah. well less than that. We got an yeah. acre plus this house. The house right. was like thrown in, and then in front of the house is this huge yard. We're going to turn it into a private city park. So it's going to anyone when I say private, it's going to be owned by the Condo Corp and maintained. But anybody in Hamilton can sit in the park, read a right. newspaper, have a coffee, and the building we're going to convert into a five star restaurant with patios all the way around it. And a beautiful glass box, solar, kind of solarium, but it's, 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 solarium doesn't do it justice because it's a 3,000 square foot modern addition to the building. Wow. It's spectacular. And you can't get stuff like that here. Right. You know? So I, I just think Hamilton's the next opportunity. I think Hamilton is where people should be investing their money today. Buy a house. You can buy a house in Hamilton for $260,000. That's a million dollars here. Wow. Yeah. You can buy a condo from, from me in this project for the low twos. It'd be 500000 in Toronto. Mm -hmm. It's the same condo. 
Right. And the rent isn't that far off. Right. It isn't. So right. I, I just can't understand why more people, well, actually, more, more people are doing this. I mean, developers are now buying up. The land's moving very quickly now, and the prices of land is going up. We couldn't do a television city a year from now at the prices we're offering television city today because the land price was very good, right? Because we were early to the game. But I just can't understand why you'd buy a condo at eleven hundred a foot, uh, you know, six hundred thousand dollars and rent it for two thousand. You're right. gonna lose money. Right. Right. At that point, you know, at that point, it's a rich man's game. It's you're buying with huge deposits, or you're living in it. And that's, by the way, how Toronto's going to segue. Toronto's going to segue like New York segued. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a it's a have and have not society in Toronto. That's the future. It's not my doing. It's what has evolved. Um, and uh, our, our government's probably been largely responsible for that. Uh, municipal, federal, and provincial. There should have been eyes on this city to create more social housing um, and to and to offer uh, more incentives for people to get into the marketplace, first-time buyer incentives. Right. Um, which, to me, rather than making it harder, they should be making it easier. But that's another story. I just think that when you look at the the options in Toronto as an investor, they're getting they're getting tighter. You know, a project in Yorkville, fifteen hundred a foot. Yeah. How are you making money there? Right. So does that mean are you? I mean, you're you're speaking so highly of Hamilton. Are are you saying that you're leaving Toronto as a developer? You know, I have I have uh, I'm finishing Harlow. Mm-hmm. I'm starting East Fifty Five. James, we went to the OMB, hoping we're going to win. We're going to start building that if we do shortly. We have Wellington House, Bow House, and Bread Company all in lined up. After that, we have a project in the East End that I've owned for years and years and years. A, a, a property that I bought seven years ago, um, and then we have a property. Uh, in the West End that I've owned for a very long time. So we've got eight or nine uh, projects in the pipeline for Toronto. Listen, people are going to pay me $1,000 a foot for my condos here. I'm going to take it. Right. <laughs> I'm going to sure. take it. But yeah. I'm saying that you have no options. It's not like yeah. our pricing is more than anyone else's. It's, it is what's here. I mean, stuff out in Liberty Village is nine fifty a foot, and you couldn't pay me to live in Liberty Village. Right? <laughs> it's, it's so difficult yeah. to get around in that, that, you know, the traffic's brutal. But... Um, but so, so I know that people will buy our product here at those prices because it's good. But if I had an option, mm-hmm. you know, people say, well, I, I don't want to own something, you know, that's not in the city. A lot of the investors are from the 905, Mississauga, Oakville, Burlington, you know, Milton, yep. um, sure. Etobicoke. You, you get in a car. I've gotten to Hamilton from here at 2 o'clock. In 40 minutes. Right. Now, I have a Ferrari. It goes pretty fast. <laughs> but you, you don't have to go that fast. It's, it's like, HOV you know, lane? If, if, <laughs> yeah, if I have someone in the other seat. If, if you have um, an investment condo in Hamilton, you can easily manage it yourself. It's, right. not, it's no worse than being in sure. Scarborough or Richmond yeah. Hill. Right. So from the standpoint of the, the, the objection that it's not Toronto, it doesn't make any sense because the golden horseshoe is going to be one organism. Mm. It already is. But it's going to be one organism, and I don't think there's going to be this this mental gap. What we used to have, Hamilton was this one thing, and Pickering was this one thing. I just think it's going to be one thing, one big thing. Right. And and the barriers that we've created about different municipalities and cities are going to evaporate because of price. You know, I, I know I, I can tell you I see the numbers what's yeah. coming here in the city. Uh, one of my condos in, in five or six years will cost you $1,500 $1, a square foot to buy. Right. 
if you want to buy in Harlow in six years, if I launched that in six years, it would be fifteen hundred dollars. It's and and by the way, the amount of product is going to shrink dramatically because the city of Toronto is stopping development on a dime. That's another conversation, but they are absolutely doing everything they can, everything they can to prevent development from happening, residential development from happening in the city. Right. So. It's becoming harder and harder lands. Sites are becoming harder harder to acquire. Approvals harder harder to get. Well, OMB is, you know, is, even is, if you acquire is gone them, now. Even if you acquire them, they won't let you build on them. They're locking them down with heritage control bylaws. You mm-hmm. can't do anything with it. Right. It's brick. Can't touch it. Uh, they're they're creating new rules. Make sure there's no historic drains in the basement. Well, there's there's there's, there's huge <laughs> the same problems. Market huge thing. problems now with with uh, water control yeah. and sewer control. But there's also new policies in effect um, to lock down the downtown core to create a larger financial district. So you can't do residential in a larger part of the city. They're locking it down so you can't do any residential. And that's creeping into the King Spadina neighborhood, east and west. Mm, so yeah. they're doing everything they can to stop residential construction. You might say why, but it doesn't matter why they're doing it. Right. And that means there'll be less. And that means prices go higher. So I look at Hamilton and I say, we're going to continue working in other cities. There's opportunities everywhere. But I look at Hamble and I think at 600 or 580 a foot, it's a joke. Right. It's so cheap. It makes sense. You see a good future in the city. Um, so it's, it's uh, the opportunity is there, basically. Yeah, there's nothing so, but good things yeah. happening for Hamilton. How committed forward. are you to Hamilton? I mean, you've it's, it's not, you have more than just this one site, I believe. We have. Are you we, actively looking to Yeah. We have do a billion more dollars more? of development there. Wow. Um, this first project's in the 350 range. Um, we are working on two enormous developments uh, outside of that that we may or may not do. Um, you know, for, for me being a developer, it's all about money, right? I, I, I'm, I, you know, I have, I have some money, but, but I, I don't have an unlimited, I don't have like a, a million dollar money tree that I can just pull right. uh, sure. million dollar checks off. So, you know, we have to, like any company, manage our money. And, and in the development business, too, it's so risky that if you have problems, you need money to solve those problems. And so we always have to have money around. So I would like to buy everything I like, but I, I can't. So for now, we've bought what we've bought, but we are looking at other opportunities in Hamilton for sure. To the skeptical person, uh, like you said, the person who says, I only invest in Toronto or I only invest in GTA, um, what would be your main message to them uh, as as you want them to think about Hamilton? Well, I started selling real estate in in this King Spadina area and new buildings. I was the first, I, I got the first new project in the city at 20 Niagara, which is, uh, uh, you know, Bathurst um, and, and Wellington. So you have Wellington, then south is Niagara, and then you have Bathurst. So just inset a bit, there's this white building, 24 units on a park. Now yeah. I sold that building. Yeah, for context, it was our first project. That's right. Yeah, and uh, we had there was a sausage factory in the basement of the of the sales office. It was across the street from the site. Okay, and my office <laughs> was above that, stunk like sausage. Okay, and I remember, I remember being on, this on the second floor. I remember being there in '96. I look out the window, and a car would pull up, and they'd see the sign on the site, and they'd see where the sales office was, and I'd be looking, and be like, I could see their heads going like. No, no. I drive away. I'd run out of the cells. Like, no, 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 come, and they'd be gone. Just let me talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> now, so for the skeptic, I sold those units. They were eleven hundred square feet. I sold them for one hundred sixty thousand. Those apartments are selling for one point <laughs> one million. 
The building was completed in 1998. Okay, so if you bought a unit uh, back then for 160 and you put 10% down, $16,000, your $16,000 is now $1.1 million. What's the return on your invested capital? It's insanity. It's by, the, by the way, it's tax-free. <laughs> it's tax-free. Yeah. It's all Assuming yours. you live there, yeah. So, so you know, um, everyone looks at Toronto. Oh, yeah. I mean, Toronto's amazing. I want to live in King Spadina. I was here in King Spadina where nobody wanted to live here. Cities change. Yeah. Hamilton is in the middle of the same change that Toronto saw 20 years ago. And you can miss the boat. You could, you could buy a condo for $160,000 or you can miss the boat and wait till it's $1.1 million. That's your choice. If you want to be an idiot, wait the time and pay right. one point. I'm fine right. with that. Either way, you know, there's always, we always find people that have vision to buy our buildings and our projects. So they'll all sell. You either can get in line and buy or you can be one of the idiots that misses this great opportunity. And uh, I think everyone has an innate desire to have money and be rich. This is one of the easy ways to do it. Go to Television City, yeah. buy a condo, you're going to make money. All right. Excellent. Brad, it's been great having you on the show. Appreciate your time and your, uh, your insights here. It's been fantastic. Um, if people want to learn more about you or Television City, what's, where would you direct them? What's the best place to do that? Uh, well, uh, Television City <laughs> is televisioncity.ca. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think I'm right about that. <laughs> we'll verify the the, yeah. the official or, or you could go to our uh, website and, and we'll put it in the show notes for this episode for sure. Yeah. Yep. Or you could go to lambdevcorp.com and our projects are there. Right. Yeah. If you want it, you can you can um, you can uh, um, email my email me at um, uh, brad at torontoconnels dot com um, and uh, or uh, there's another website or there's another email address I have but I can't remember it. Okay. <laughs> But that's the best one, yeah. and, and, and uh, I'll respond to anything you ask. But, but for Television City, it's hard to miss it. You could also just Google Television City Hamilton, and there's a, a website there with all the floor plans and images. Um, and uh, the thing to do is to uh, register um, because, you know, there's, there's 600 units here, 619 units. Um, I think we're going to sell out the first tower um, day one. Wow. And so uh, you want to get in and call and book an appointment uh, if you want to get an opportunity to buy in this building at these prices. Great. Because I'll tell you, phase two won't be at these prices. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing, too, Good is, to know. you know, um, it takes, it's going to take us five years to finish phase one. What's going to happen in five years? Right. Rents are going to be higher. Price will be higher regardless yeah. of whether you're getting a good deal here. Um, so I, it's the opportunities there for anyone that has the, uh, the desire to take it. Excellent. Great. Thanks, Brad. And hopefully we'll uh, have you on the show again soon. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.